Hello, everyone. I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. It is just the strangest time of season, the one that we're in now. Wandering around through the days that are between Christmas and New Year's, it's a borderland of in-between. If we were of more direct European or Latino heritage, we would likely just keep the party going a few more days because those groups celebrate the full 12 days of Christmas right up to Epiphany on January 6th. But most of us have had enough by now. Enough turkey and ham, no more chocolate-covered cherries or holiday cookies. I'm starting my diet in January, we say. Some are back at work. Some are still off from work. Some have completed their travels. Some are still in motion. Some are still trying to make a gift exchange without a receipt. Some are eagerly anticipating college football. Some are not. It's a strange season. And so it was for this young man. His name is Willis Allman. Willis was on the beach the morning of June 6, 1944. Operation Overlord, D-Day, as it was known. He was one of more than 150,000 Allied troops that landed at Normandy to liberate Europe from Nazi Germany. He was a decorated soldier thereafter, took a commission, and became a recruitment officer after the war stationed in Norfolk, Virginia. Young, handsome, ambitious, he was going to make a name for himself. It was also the week after Christmas, there in Norfolk, 1949. Willis was out with another officer off duty during the holiday season. The two men picked up a hitchhiker. They became friendly. They had a few drinks together. Then they agreed to drive the man home. The stranger directed them to a dark, isolated farm. He drew a gun to rob them, ordering Willis and his friend out of the car and to lie face down on the ground. Willis would not comply. In the scuffle that would follow, two shots were fired, and both bullets found their home in Willis's chest. He died at the scene. 31-year-old Army captain. He was taken home to Nashville, where he was buried at the Nashville National Cemetery with full military honors. His wife, Geraldine, was there, as were Willis's two young sons. Three-year-old Dwayne, two-year-old Greg, Dwayne and Greg Allman, the Allman brothers. Allman indeed made a name for himself, but not at all the way he thought it would go. The bond between these two boys was as strong as any brothers ever had, melded together by the tragedy of their father's death, their mother's ongoing grief, and the restlessness 
of being two young souls alone against the world coming of age in the 1960s. But they were alone together. They saw B.B. King play one night in Nashville. Dwayne said to little brother Greg, we got to get in on this. And did they ever. The Almond Brothers Band had Dwayne, one of the greatest guitarists to ever live, maybe the greatest. Greg's vocals as distinctive as anyone's. Dickie Betts, Barry Oakley, Butch Trucks. And they turned out songs like Sweet Melissa, Whipping Post, Rambling Man, Midnight Rider. And they did all of that in their first couple of years as a band. Because only two years after they launched and found success, Dwayne Allman was killed in a motorcycle accident October 29th, 1971, Macon, Georgia. He was 24 years old. Allman, as I said, was a superior guitarist, some say the best, and a good songwriter. But his best piece of writing can be found in his diary. It's his last New Year's resolution. He was 23 years old when he wrote this paragraph down. I'm indebted to Bobby Rains for making me aware of it. It reads, This year, I will be more thoughtful of my fellow man. Exert more effort in each of my endeavors, professionally as well as personally. Take love wherever I find it and offer it to everyone who will take it. In this coming year, I will seek knowledge from those wiser than me and try to teach those who wish to learn from me. I love being alive, and I will be the best man I possibly can. Dated January 1st, 1969. What is impossible to miss in Almond's short little manifesto is the anticipation. It is expectant. It is hopeful. It is eager in its waiting. Let's see what will be. It is eager in its action. Let's see what we might get into. Now, did life go as Dwayne Allman thought it would? Of course not. Life never goes exactly as you think it will. We have no real power whatsoever over the outcome of life, but it is still our choice to be present in our own lives, to wait, to see, to act, to live. That most quoted line from Frederick Buechner is once again applicable here. He said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen, but don't be afraid. That's what I take from Dwayne Allman's last and only New Year's resolution. You live with hope and anticipation, even though you have no guarantees how things will go. That's what I take from today's gospel reading as well. It's an interesting story, though it doesn't get too much attention. It comes around every few years in the lectionary, trapped in this no man's land between Christmas and New Year's, easily overlooked, but the story is timeless. Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple for his dedication, less than six miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. It wasn't a hard journey. But even if it was difficult, the dedication was still required. Firstborn sons were to be given to the Lord. So Joseph and Mary are following this tradition, doing what young parents do. When an old man named Simeon arrives in the temple, 
Simeon takes the baby Jesus into his arms and announces, Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation. Now, I prayed something very similar to that after the Georgia Bulldogs won their first national championship in, in 41 years. Let your servant die in peace. I have seen your salvation. I even posted it on the social media places, and uh, a few people thought I was being very sacrilegious. That's not funny at all. A few people told me, and I said, I didn't mean it to be funny. I was quite sincere. <laughs> and Simeon is certainly sincere. This is the moment he had been waiting for his entire life, and I don't know how it happened, but his heart had been told that he would live to see the birth of this one. He had hoped for and prayed for such a thing. He had some kind of mystical promise, mystical connection with God that he would live to see it, that he wouldn't die until he beheld the Messiah. And plus there was in the first century this intense apocalyptical movement within Judaism. A collection of rabbis was proclaiming to their generation that their generation would be the last one. It would be the end of time. Messiah would come. The years of oppression would end. Occupation by foreign armies, an occupation that had lasted more or less for four centuries, would cease. I'm quoting one of the more popular religious texts of the days of the day, God will send His Messiah and the curse will be lifted from all humankind. So as Simeon held this squirming, wrinkled baby in his trembling, wrinkled hands. I can't help but think of the annual New Year's cartoon slide. And you know it. The old year departing, looking every bit the weary, exhausted father time, long white hair and beard, hardened and cynical, can't wait to get to the retirement home or even the grave. And the New Year, fresh, and pink, innocent, gullible, eager, just getting started. There is Simeon and Jesus in the temple. The old man who had made it to the end and lived to tell about it. And the newborn Savior gaining his strength for the days that are to come. In the old King James Version of the text here, it says that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Consolation as comfort. It speaks to those deepest longings for healing and restoration. It's directed at past loss and disappointment and the miseries of life. It is the relief of suffering and loneliness and injustice. In its oldest use of the word, consolation was the assistance brought to a person in need by the personal visit of a friend. And that's what this old man had been waiting for. And this is what he saw in the baby child that he held in his hands. Now, would the anticipation and dreams of the future turn out exactly as Simeon anticipated? No, not in the least. Not for a minute could things have gone the way that he thought it would. I have seen your salvation. He is the light of God to the nations. He is the glory of your people, Israel. Let me die in peace. Was this true? Yes. Was it true as anticipated? No. 
In Simeon's mind, as it was for 99% of the people of that day, Messiah would be all upside. He would be achievement and success. He would be the best laid plan come true. Did they anticipate his teaching ministry? Yes. Did they anticipate his controversial arrival and conflict with authority? Yes. Did they anticipate him taking the side of the poor, the despondent, the bereaved, and the mistreated? Yes. Did they anticipate his sufferings? No. His death at the hands of the very enemy he had come to conquer? No. Could they have imagined the subsequent resurrection? Absolutely not. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, if I can borrow that line from the Apostle Paul. Whatever you think will happen in the future will likely not happen the way you think that it will. Or, as the proverb says, if you want to hear God laugh, just tell Him your plans. I don't think for a minute that God goes around ruining plans or raining on our hopes or dashing our dreams. I don't think that at all. I think that God allows life to take its course, having equipped us with the internal strength and holy wisdom we need to navigate the road ahead. And that road will be a winding road. So much so that when we get to where we are going and we get what we have been waiting for, when what we hoped for comes to fruition, it's not exactly as we thought it would be. Who of us has a family (laughs) that we anticipated having? The way it is constructed and put together. Who of us found love the way that we thought we would? Who of us came to a career the way we planned? Who of us found happiness because our plan for happiness worked out so well the way that we had it scheduled? It's never exactly what we think it will be. Gary Senderzeski wrote about Three kinds of weight problems. W-A-I-T, not the other kind. He says, number, number one, we wait, but we know what will eventually happen. That's like waiting in line or watching water come to a boil. You'll just have to wait. We know that. The second kind of waiting, we wait because we choose to wait. We hold ourselves back from a move, from taking a job, from doing something we plan to do. Maybe we just don't have the courage for it yet. And third, the most difficult weight problem of all, we wait, but we don't know what the final outcome is going to be. Have you ever heard someone say, well, we've done all we can, now we'll just have to wait and see. That is the hardest waiting of all. Because you are waiting on the unknown. And you're waiting, you're forced into waiting from a position of trust. We'll just have to wait and see. Old Simeon may have never lived to see another new year after this counter with the Christ child. 
If we could have talked to him that day in the temple, we might have said to him, you're right about everything. Everything you've been hoping for, everything you've been waiting on, but it's really not going to play out the way you think it is. If we could have talked to Willis Allman on December 26, back in 1949, even as he knew his life was in danger, maybe we would have said to him, this is plain awful, young man. It's unfair. It's senseless. But those two little boys back home, you're not going to believe what they're going to do. And Dwayne Allman, he gave his best go at that in his short life that he led. But at least he gave it his best go. Don't launch into 2024 thinking that where you are now, this is just going to be the worst year of my life. If the way 23 is gone, if it just keeps going, I want to get off this pony ride now. But we all kind of feel that way sometimes. But don't collapse into that. And equally, don't think that you're going to grab this new year by the nape of the neck and try to force it to your command and control. As if you're going to marshal time and expectations and intentions to your will. Hey, I like your ambition, but a better choice of word comes from my late friend Landon Saunders. He says, what we need is humbition. A little humility with our ambition. Because we're really not in charge of anything. Control is a complete illusion. We have to go with the flow and see how things work out. You know the story of the old man and the horses? It's an old Chinese parable. An old man had a beautiful dark stallion in his stable. It was worth a fortune. The man's neighbors think he is crazy, telling him that there will come a day where the horse will be stolen and the man will have nothing. Well, that day came. He woke up one morning. The horse was not in its stable, nowhere to be found. The man's neighbors rushed to tell him how cursed he was because he had lost the only thing he had of any value. The man just shrugged. He said, don't speak so quickly. Say only that the horse is not in the stable because that's all we know. We'll have to wait and see. The neighbors thought him a fool. Well, a few days later, his stallion returned. It had not been stolen. It had simply ran away, and upon its return, it brought with him a dozen wild horses back into the stable. And now the neighbors came out to tell the old man how blessed he was. Because now he had a whole herd of horses, and the old man was unfazed. He, he said, once again, I think you say too much. Say only that the horse is back, and he brought with him his friends. This is only one page of the entire book. We'll have to wait and see. The neighbors listened respectfully this time, but down deep they still considered the old man a fool. How could he not regard this windfall as a blessing? The old man's son went to breaking the wild horses. And in the process, he was thrown from the back of one of the horses and broke both of his legs. And here the neighbors came again. What are you going to do now, old man? You're too old to break the horses yourselves or to work your farm. And now you have no one to take care of you in your old age. Those horses were a curse after all. And the old man waved them away. Saying, say only that my son is injured. Beyond that, nothing can be known. We must wait and see. This time they laughed in his face as they departed. And so it was a great war broke out in the old man's country. 
All the young men were called up and drafted to serve in the army where most would perish because the enemy was stronger and better equipped. And the neighbors arrived once again at the old man's corral, weeping and saying, You were right. We were wrong. Your son's accident is now a blessing. And while his legs are broken, you still have him. We are cursed and will never see our sons again. And the old man said, It is impossible to talk to any of you. You always draw conclusions. You always think you know what today means and what tomorrow holds. No one has such wisdom. We must wait and see. For only God knows what is to come. This year I will be more thoughtful of my fellow man. Exert more effort in each of my endeavors professionally as well as personally. Take love where I find it and offer it to everyone who will take it. In this coming year, I will seek knowledge from those wiser than me and try to teach those who wish to learn from me. I love being alive and I will be the best person I possibly can be. And that's all anyone can do and leave the results to God. Thank you.